Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sloppy Lab. Uh, I am uh, JT Russell, and unfortunately, QuickDraw could not make it this evening, but I have a panel of experts here with me uh, this evening or afternoon or morning or whatever it may be in your time zone. Uh, so for actually for the very first time on Bottom of the Beaker, uh, we have Joe of ABR fame. Hello, Joe. Hey, JT. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate all the uh, you've done for the league and the Sloppy Lab Work uh, podcast. It is, uh, it is my pleasure and a big, big nod to the ABR folks in general and for you as well. Uh, love the league. Big fans. We'll, uh, we'll leave a link to the Discord in the show notes, so folks should definitely join if there's uh, if there is any way that they're listening to us but don't have uh, <laughs> not already made their way over to the ABR <laughs> server and uh, and back for more for more pain because we didn't scare him away the first time. Uh, <laughs> we've got uh, second act. So John, second act. Hello, welcome back on the show. Thanks for having me back again, Justin. Uh, I just want to know one thing though. How in the mm -hmm. world did I ever acquire the um, label expert? <laughs> well, uh, that is Loose actually term. a great question and lead in. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, experts all relative. And yeah, love seeing the chat folks uh, roll in. Hey, Murph, how's it going? Um, so uh, we are talking uh, uh, today about the secondary market of Keyforge, ye old secondary market. You probably saw. Uh, the Sloppy Labworks folks spamming our survey to the community all week. Um, so that's what we're talking about this evening. And whether or not there are experts is a, uh, I guess, a, an interesting question in and of itself. Uh, we've got three folks here who are at least uh, highly engaged, I would say, in the secondary market. And we'll bring some interesting perspective. So we've got sort of community perspective. Uh, we've got uh, what we're calling our expert panel perspective. Um, and if nothing else, we'll have some interesting content, I'm sure. <laughs> cool. Um, so uh, I kind of didn't really have an agenda. We keep things pretty casual here, but I, I would love to kind of die, dig into the survey results, get our experts' uh, uh, takes on the questions that we uh, put to folks and just also on the reactions to some of the community response. Uh, so I'm going to drop a link in the chat too, and this will be in the show notes to some sort of preliminary uh, results to the surveys. This is very rough. We're going to be kind of cleaning this up before we submit to publication. Even, you know, uh, you know, sloppy, sloppy science uh, LLC that we submit our, uh, our papers to has some standards. So we have to put this into a little bit better format. Um, but, you know, uh, we, we started this off with a question around whether folks uh, consider themselves to be a competitive player. Um, and we, we did have an episode not long ago about, you know, casual and competitive play in Keyforge. Uh, so folks, folks, the longtime listeners at home, right, will know that uh, I consider myself competitive, but I, I guess curious to get your all's take too. Do you all consider yourself competitive or, or what's your kind of take or response here? We'll go, uh, yeah, we'll go to I Joe first lean here. on the uh, competitive uh side of things you know i like to win i like to uh have good decks uh and so yeah i mean i'm not you know win at all costs kind of competitive uh i think that's the big uh, fun side of keyforge is is it's fun first the community you know community first but you know we want to win too so uh i definitely say i'm in the competitive side of things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool. There, are, there are many shades to competitive and many facets to it. So there's, there's, there's very, very definitely that. It's a, it's a deeper question than you'd, you'd imagine, right? And then, uh, yes, and then, yes, John, oh, what's yeah. your take? Uh, I know, I know, but tell our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely consider myself to be on the competitive side of things, um, mm -hmm. though I will say that. While I'm interested in competitive success as an individual, I am more interested in building up a competitive team and trying to not just be somebody who can win individual awards, but who can help his teammates become better players and eventually start to win for themselves. To me, that's more important than being a good individual player. Did, uh, did, did like Joe pay you to say that? Captain. Is this like an ABR plug? I was thinking, uh, <laughs> yeah, ABR team captain material here for sure. Indeed, indeed. 
Um, so yeah, I, I definitely put myself in the competitive camp and I very intentionally awarded this in a way that wasn't mutually exclusive. I think you can approach this game as a casual player and a competitive player, both, you know, wear both hats. Um, uh, so I, I hope folks, I hope folks, uh, took, took the question that way and was where we were really wondering, you know, of the respondents, how many folks see themselves wearing that competitive hat at different points. Um, but we'll kind of kind of see how that plays out. Um, you know, the very next question we followed up with was really this, around the size of the collection that folks were bringing to the game. Um, and we broke it down in a few different buckets. Um, uh, we saw that the vast majority of folks were kind of in this, uh, in this zero to 500 range. Um, so maybe a little, I mean, the vast majority might be a little a bit of an overstatement. So 60% were kind of in that range. Uh, I'm kind of in, I'm kind of in the 1,000 to 200, 2,500 range. If you combine my brother and I, we're, we're probably closer, if not tipping over the 2,500 scale. Um, I, mean, I don't know if you all want to want to kind of give exact numbers on your responses, but uh, for, for context, if, you, if you'd like, feel free. Um, I don't know. You all, you all have big old collections. <laughs> So I consider myself to be more in the um, more than 2,500, but it's interesting the way you phrase this question, because the phrasing is very important where my collection is concerned, <laughs> because you said, how many Keyforge decks have you had in your collection? And I try to keep my collection, I wouldn't say I'm lean forging or anything, but I try to keep my collection down to a reasonable number. And so I try to keep somewhere between 200 and 300 decks at any given time. And I'd like to even get it lower than that. I'd like to get it under 200, ideally. Uh, however, I have had a lot of decks and I've just sold a lot of decks. I find that, and this kind of ties into our topic today, I guess, I find that bulk selling decks on eBay uh, can be a really effective way of just getting rid of a lot of decks. And you can end up having somebody end up with something that they really want too. So it can be a win-win. Joe? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that really mirrors uh, the same way I handle my collection. You know, I've had probably 12 to 1500 decks filter through my hands. Um, but if I pulled up DOK right now, I'm at 514 decks. Um, and a lot of, you know, I went through, you know, like the, the, fire sales that came out of Canada with all the French decks. You know, I bought a ton of those, mm -hmm. um, the dollar sale, bought a bunch of those. And, you know, so I've gone through, uh, you know, a bunch of the, you know, bulk selling on eBay um, and things like that to kind of get under, you know, to around that 500 mark. Um, I've got a hundred decks marked as, you know, favorites. And then as far as I'm concerned, you know, eventually I want to get the rest of my collection, you know, that 414 decks kind of, you know, much closer to that hundred number and really the decks I'm holding on to are the decks I really want to play versus that just sit in a shoebox somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like a similar journey. I haven't, I haven't done uh, a ton in terms of bulk selling. So I'd actually, yeah, be curious. I know you've mentioned to me before, John, that, that you were, you were enjoying doing it. Um, kind of what your, what your approach to that has been. Uh, but I, I, it sounds very familiar, like, oh, I'll mark all my favorites and those will be the ones I keep or I get lots of rep with. And you're like, well, I've got a, a hundred of those now. <laughs> so like, <laughs> still, what, what do I do? <laughs> yeah, funny. Um, okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, we, we didn't see too many folks in that 2,500 plus range. Uh, let's say maybe, uh, maybe an eighth of the respondents or so, a little more than that in the 1,000 to 200, 500 range, 2,500 range. And I was definitely thinking of folks such as yourself, uh, second act, when I, when I worded this question to, uh, to account for things that had been sold in bulk, perhaps. Um, I'm going to assume, uh, I'm not going to dwell on this too much, but I'm going to give the numbers here that uh, both of you have purchased a deck for competitive play at some point on the secondary market. Uh, yeah, see some head, sure. head nods. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then this actually really surprised me. So we got a decent number of responses here, uh, 64. Uh, I was pretty happy with how many folks uh, offered up uh, their, their info to the sloppy lab work data gods. Um, but we, we saw only, um, only two thirds of folks said yes to having bought a deck for competitive play. 
but more like more like eighty percent, eighty five percent, excuse me, saying yes to having bought a deck for casual play. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. And even even taking into account that um, uh, only two thirds of the respondents actually kind of identified as competitive players, we saw a lot more folks saying like they were picking up decks um, uh, for casual play first. And maybe that's a function of deck cost. I'm not sure, but could be, <laughs> could be. Um, but all right. So this is this is kind of the the side dishes. We get into the meat and potatoes, right? The, oh, I just one I wanted to throw in there. Yeah, um, I have bought a deck for casual play from Joe. <laughs> 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 he he sold me one of my double gigantic decks, which I've had a lot of fun with. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Well, speaking of gigantic decks, you were going to sell me Winter for like uh, for like fifty bucks. You said <laughs> I, don't I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, you can keep wishing. Okay. Um. Uh. Yeah. Uh, but okay. So so some of the I don't know other kind of uh, other kind of interesting things that we were asking folks. Uh, so we got some of some of that out of the way, uh, and and really the question that I was driving towards um, was what folks see as sort of a a reasonable price for the top end competitive decks. You know, you look at a deck, and this is just kind of how I worded it, right? You you look at a deck, you see that it won a Vault Tour, an Archon Vault, an Archon Vault Tour. You're like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so a deck sort of in that caliber. It doesn't have to be like you see it and you're like, how the heck did this not win the Vault Tour? It's it's like, yeah, I believe that. Um, uh, and uh, interesting interesting responses here too. So uh, a big a big kind of bump in the 300 to 500 range uh, and a decent number of folks coming in both in the 100 to 300 and then also 500 to 1000 with some, uh, with some tail kind of up above and, uh, and a handful of folks in the zero to 100 range. Um, I, I kind of have my, my thoughts and reactions, but I'm, I'm curious kind of what, what you're all are thinking when you kind of see this as the results, does it kind of resonate with, with your own thoughts or not resonate? I don't know. How about, uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell, I'll throw it out there right now. I've paid my most expensive deck. I paid $1,500 for it. Right. Um, and it's, uh, my, um, double generosity key abduction deck. Um, you know, I, I really, and the reason why I bring it up and the amount is, you know, I super wavered on it. It wasn't like easy. Oh yeah, sure. Just, just PayPal over 1500 bucks real quick and, and buy a deck. Right. I was like, you know, it, yeah, I haven't hot over this deck for a very long time. And, um, it's by far the most I paid for a deck and uh, up to, besides that point, you know, I've never really, I think $300 really kind of maxed me out at what I've paid for a deck other than that one. Uh, I, I'm sorry, $400. I paid 400 for a different Jenka deck. And, um, but what I, it was part of it wasn't from the competitive perspective. One, I know it was, you know, I think it's arguably one of the best AOA decks in existence, but I also knew they're never going to print Martian generosity again. So it's something that I know every deck's unique, but it was something that you're just not going to see. And so that was kind of what put me over the top. For, for this particular deck, but outside of something really, I think, you know, ultra rare like that, I, I think, you know, when you get much over that $500, which 500 is what I put as a, you know, competitive level, you know, if you want to say vault tour winning deck, I mean, I think you can easily find decks that can be that competitive for 500 or even significantly less than that. I, I think you can find something on the secondary market you know, in the hundred, two hundred dollar range, that could, with the you know with the right matchup, with the with luck on your side, which you need no matter what deck you have, you know you can be competitive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. No, I, I I appreciate the candor too. I'm uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna air some of my own laundry as well. <laughs> I'm curious, uh, uh, John, your take as well. Curious here. Well, first of all, I'm not going to air any of my laundry because you never uh, know. I've been so curious. Eventually, what, my girlfriend may listen to from. this podcast. <laughs> and yeah. Um, that aside, um, first of all, I just wanted to comment on the Voltor winning thing for a moment. Um, because every once in a while, you'll see a deck that has won a Voltor come up for sale. And 
I find that those decks are almost always ridiculously overpriced, especially mm-hmm. considering the fact that the circumstances that a Voltor winning deck won its Voltor in no longer exist. Because basically every Voltor winning deck won its Voltor while all there was in the meta was Coda and then maybe a little bit of AOA and Worlds Collide, but pretty much all Coda. And so with mass mutations in the rotation now, and then Woe coming into the rotation and who knows what that will do, I think that those previous results don't necessarily mean anything anymore. Mm. That being said, uh, if a deck is competitive enough, uh, I definitely think that the 500 to $1,000 range is where it should land. I think when people start asking for more than a thousand dollars then usually it's because of some gaudy number like it has a sass of a hundred or something like that um, or it's won a vault tour or something along those lines now in a case like what joe was talking about where it truly is a unique deck um, and the double jank is a great example because it's very very hard to find those things mm-hmm. um, or i guess if you could find a really competitive seven sins deck you know things like that that are just very difficult to get Maybe a triple gigantic deck. I I would like that. Um, (laughs) I could see paying $1,000 plus for those. But for the most part, I think most of the decks that are priced over $1,000 just tend to be overpriced because of some splashy um, thing that the deck has that doesn't necessarily make it competitive. And to me, if you're paying over $1,000 for a deck, it damn well better be competitive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a this is a very interesting interesting market, right? So there's the competitiveness of a deck you have to weigh. There's it's you know it's extra uniqueness in a in a world of unique things, right? I think that the double generosity key abduction deck uh, kind of fits that bill. You know, it's uh it's not only this very strong deck, but also kind of the the crown jewel of a very iconic um, very iconic combo in the game, right? So that that has that has something going for it and you're unlikely like you're said to see anything that kind of tops it uh even even if there was a world where you know they print i don't know eaton's jar at common and there's decks with like three eaton's jars running around like it's still going to be an amazing deck you know there's kind of uh there's kind of no, no denying that um looking at some of my own my own decks i mean uh i have an alert in dok for you know three plus kirby double punctuated equilibrium decks and there's like three of them in existence. So really, I'm just waiting for those three ones to go up for sale. And, you know, one did go for sale. And I was like, all right, thank you. I will I will take this. <laughs> um, uh, and so that was kind of like, is it competitive? It is. This 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 one here, Brick Blade of the Commander's Guild Hall. Uh, very fun. I've been playing it in the um, uh, NKFL for a few seasons. Uh, it has plenty of holes, but it's uh, it kind of fits that that niche of um of uh you know not only being competitive but also doing something that is unique and interesting within this world of unique and interesting decks so uh carves out extra extra hole there um so i have a question for you about that deck mm -hmm. does it have artifact control or does it just cry when it sees an auto encoder (laughs) on the other side of the board so uh i have some fun stories about that uh i actually uh lent this deck to uh teammate not tonight um for uh kfpl i want to say it was uh season and got to watch her smash an auto encoder with uh the rustnars and and proceed to win but otherwise you see that auto encoder and you're like well yeah how's the weather in your part of the world um <laughs> uh, but uh, this this deck, uh, I don't know. I think it was probably for sale for all of about uh, two minutes between the time when the alert came to me and um, and I sent the like, yes, I'll take it email, and it was listed for it was listed for three hundred dollars, which I think was underpriced. And um, but take that take into account, right? And this is maybe a thing that we should we should touch on. Um, you know, this was at a time before Ghost Galaxy kind of announced that, hey, we're going to breathe some life back into this game. Um, you know, there were folks out there who were who were selling off, you know, good decks. And it wasn't just like, 
you know, you were seeing runoff hit the secondary market on DOK. Um, uh, and it also wasn't clear that there was going to be, you know, a uh, real payoff to having competitive decks in your collection. You know, maybe, you know, the kitchen table is kind of the end game for, for Keyforge. I, I personally had a lot of hope, let's say, let's call it faith that there was going to be uh there was going to be a kind of competitive play resurgence at some point. Um, but it wasn't a certain, wasn't given. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the two of you probably were, were also looking at the secondary market at around that time and saying, well, you know, what is it, how does it make sense to engage in the market at this point? Right. Uh, it was an interesting times. Yeah, I was really, really active. My whole team actually was really active kind of during the hiatus. Um, you know, when you had people, uh, you know, shedding their collection, you know, it's well known Z shedded, you know, 90% of his collection, right? And you had, you know, top players, you know, really dumping decks, um, ABR as a whole, you know, we got pretty aggressive on the secondary market during that time um, to really try to boost our team collection. Um, and, and I think that, you know, as we start seeing more competitive events, um, you know, more of our team members uh, competing in things like NKFL and, and things like that, you know, I think we're going to see some some fruits to that labor of, you know, taking what I'll say advantage of people that wanted to sell at that point in time. Um, and, you know, we gambled a little bit, uh, you know, and hopefully that's going to pay off here with with Goat's Galaxy, uh, you know, bringing back organized play. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have to ask too. Um, this, is a, this is a great this is a great great point here. Um, when you when you when you were kind of putting out the numbers for the survey, uh, were you thinking in sort of a in sort of a this new organized play where there there's there are these big big prizes up for grabs um you know when you think of what's a reasonable price for a deck or you're imagining kind of like as a as a as a potential vehicle to grab those prizes or was it more more of like you know i'm i'm jamming abr and nkfl and and we're we're having you know having fun playing competitively but there aren't big cash prizes up for grabs um so uh yeah uh I guess where, where your answer is kind of with that lens or in more of a, like, I'm going to start going to these, I'm going to start making really, really shooting for these, uh, these, these big tournaments. And I'm looking at decks in terms of kind of their expected value at larger events. Say, uh, yeah, I didn't even consider the prize pool pool event. Um, when it came to considering, I just really thought about what I would pay for a deck really. Um, and I think, you know, I can, be competitive in that 500 or under um and i'd rather have a little bit wider collection at that five than just one or two you know superstars so um it, it kind of makes me think a little bit about my number because of the you know the potential prize pools that are out there personally I think that anything about the future competitive meta right now, you can't really make any judgments about because we really don't know what woe is going to do to the meta. So decks that could have been very competitive, if they can't really deal with a board, uh, then they could just get swamped by woe decks and not be able to have any way of handling that. So, when I was putting my numbers together, I was thinking about the market as it has been, not as it will be, because I just don't think we have enough information to say anything about what the market is going to be until we see what impact Woe is going to have on the meta. I do think it's relatively safe to say at the moment that it's not going to be Dark Tidings. It's not going to be a deck that, or, sorry, a set that <laughs> just does nothing um, in the competitive meta and just sort of gets ignored. I do think that it's going to be something you're going to have to answer. And I think that one of the major reasons for that is that most of the old sets are not very available anymore. Other than AOA, you can still get those a dime a dozen, but <laughs> um, 
most of the other old sets are not available. And as long as those old sets are not available, new players coming to the game will have to be playing WoW. And if they are, then you're going to have to be able to deal with that. Hmm. So Quickdraw's not here, but I feel like I have to like fight you for the Dark Tide in comments or something. But I don't know. Let it slide. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's like three I mean, competitive Dark Tidings deck out there. There are a couple. That's true. Um, I know that um, Am I Bluffing um, has one that I just hate facing. So yeah, <laughs> there's a few. So this is the one I have to I have to trot out. Uh, Enchantress Ollie, Quick Draw will be proud of me. Uh, but uh, uh, this was piloted to a teammate now in stereo. Shout out to now in stereo. Uh, in one of Joker's Vault Keeper events, the one that allowed you to bring either a Mass Mutation deck or a Dark Tidings deck for, I think it was a it was like a buyout event. You ban one, um, and I want to say that the uh, this ended up getting played against Mass Mutation decks very often throughout that tournament, and uh, uh, Nine Stereo was able to pilot it to a win of the whole thing, which is pretty cool. Now, one. <laughs> One example does not make a case, uh, does not make a case, um, but um, they're out there. They may be few and far between, but they're out there. Yeah. <laughs> all right, quick draw. Did I, did I, did I get them all right? Yeah. <laughs> see, I see quick draws join us in the chat. Yes. <laughs> fuming. The fuming indeed, but very cool. Yeah. So it's interesting uh, as we think about, yeah. You know, big waves of woe coming in, needing the board to be answered, and how that impacts. And I think you know your your comment from earlier, uh, John, about how the landscape really shifts dramatically with set between set releases. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to even look back at the vault tours from the vault tours from two or three, you know. Um, I would say seasons, but let's say sets ago, and say, yeah, these are still ones that should should get top dollar. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at a deck like Gasoline that managed to win two Vault Tours, and you know, largely on the strength of that Guntus, and that Guntus is no longer a viable strategy. There's just too many random damage trips floating around in MM. You can't really make that work. Um, plus. These days, decks just pack more C than they did at that point. The entire way that the game is um, played has changed. Um, what George was really doing, good at doing with that deck was fighting down the opponent's board. Uh, you can't fight down the boards that exist anymore. So, yeah, I mean, you look at a deck like that that was so dominant, and, you know, the meta has shifted. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is kind of a natural segue, but also hits on something that we had asked. I'm I'm curious how much you all value or take into account a deck's SAS rating when either you're thinking about putting together an offer for a deck, or um, or you're uh, evaluating an offer that you're getting. You know how much how much does it SAS really really play in? Um, is that something that you put a lot of stock in or, or worry a ton about, or do you kind of ignore it and, and I don't know, use, use your, your gut or your intuition or what have you? Uh, I, know, I guess I'll, I'll go, go to Joe first on this one. Uh, is there, is you have like a brackets of ra a range or something? Not, I value SAS a lot more when I'm selling versus when I'm buying. You know, when I'm buying, mm. I know what I am looking for. Um, you know, when I'm, uh, selling, it's like, all right, you know, someone's going to give me X because it has this SAS and then it does these really good things. And it's just, it, whether or not you value SAS or not, it's just a real thing. It's what people measure with. So I think it, it's something that does have to be considered, but if I'm going to make an offer to somebody, you know, I may even explain, Hey, yeah, I get, it's got this SAS, but it's also got this hole, this hole, this hole. And, you know, I think some people will, you know, could be think they're going to get something over on somebody by saying, oh, they'll just buy high because of the SAS. And they're like, oh, well, I haven't got any offers and all those holes that guy talked about is right. So I'll go ahead and take that little bit lower offer. So that's kind of part of the strategy I, I would use when I'm buying a deck 
you know, and then when I'm selling, I want to hide my holes in the deck so somebody pays me top dollar for it. I'm definitely a believer in SaaS more so than most people are. I do think that SaaS has a lot of value. That said, I prefer to break SaaS down into its um, categories. I think that I want a deck that's well-balanced. Whenever I'm buying on the secondary market, like there's a few check marks a deck has to have before I even consider that I'm going to make an offer on it. I need to see that it has some kind of artifact control. I know artifact control is a really controversial one for a lot of people. Some people think it has to be in competitive decks. Some people think it doesn't have to be in competitive decks. But I just think the artifacts have gotten too good now. And so you need some kind of artifact control. So I like to see artifact control. I like to see at least one board sweep. Although, again, I think Woe may make it necessary to have at least two board sweeps. Because I think that you're going to have to be able to control runaway boards or you're just going to lose. Um, and then, of course, I like to see, see some good basic stats in the other areas. Um, I like to see some uh, expected amber, you know, 20 plus. I'd like to see efficiency 10 plus. Amber control, interestingly, is the one place where I'll usually make a few sacrifices because I figure if a deck's fast enough, then I should be able to win before it becomes an issue. I think that's especially true if you're talking about a deck that has key cheats in it and key cheats can make up for a lack of Amber control. So that's usually the place where I'm most willing to make sacrifices, but it really has to be strong in the other areas because you're just never going to find a deck that's strong in everything. Every deck has some kind of weakness. Hmm. Yeah, I know for, for my part, I... I try to put on my SAS blinders as much as possible when I'm evaluating decks. Um, but when it comes time to, uh, you know, if I'm looking to buy or sell, I, well, I will try to decide whether or not it's something I want regardless of SAS, right? Uh, I mean, obviously this is a piece of data that you're using to uh, to evaluate a deck, but you know, hopefully you've, you've played it, you've run it through the gauntlet. If, uh, if it wasn't like one of the ones that I talked about before where you had to decide in the first two minutes <laughs> of the alert. Um, but I mean, uh, my take on this is uh, at the end of the day, you know, the, the seller is going to have to like, it's going to be a factor for the seller if it's something you're buying and you kind of have to like take that into account. Uh, they, they may be, they may be persuaded if you're able to kind of outline some holes and, and, uh, um, and they haven't been getting any offers, um, but if it's something that's getting a lot of traffic, they'll they'll know that the the SAS at least gets eyeballs on it. Um, so I kind of see it as like the SAS will put it in the front of the the front shelf and get get all the window traffic, you know, or the, the foot traffic. So it kind of uh, gets eyeballs on it. Um, I've I've often thought, you know, if you imagine a world where um, where you know you you walk into a, a game shop, a card shop, right? Uh, and there's the glass case and it's like magic cards, Pokemon card, you know, whatever. They're kind of out there with stickers on it. Uh, if there were Keyforge decks there on display, I mean, nobody's going to go up and, and read each deck list and then be like, ooh, well, uh, you know, you think, for, you think for 10 minutes if it all hangs together. Um, but if you see a deck on the shelf and it's got like 85 SAS like printed on it, then you'll, you're like, you'll bend in and take a look. So it's, it's kind of got to be this, this factor that plays into at least how much attention they get a deck gets and that that factors into how much someone thinks they're going to be able to move it i, I suppose uh, so that, i don't know that's kind of my take i think it's a factor but you know hopefully not one that's weighing heavily on you when you're trying to decide whether or not to actually buy it i mean yeah. and of course you also have to take into account the fact that when you're talking about sas really good for the first four sets i'd say but by the time you get to dt it, it means almost nothing. Yeah, I, uh, well, I don't know, maybe a different, a different conversation, but I, I tend to think it's directionally, directionally pretty good. I do, I do agree with you. It's a lot, uh, there are a lot fewer, a lot more, uh, examples where, uh, it's maybe missing the mark in DT for sure. And I do love me some AOA, even the low SAS stuff, you know, <laughs> A little bit of a, a little bit of a efficiency can go a long way, or a lot of efficiency can go a long way, as the case may be. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that, that's interesting. I mean, I, uh, if, if, if you all had more, more you want to say there by all means, but I'm, I'm also really curious to get your takes on, uh, kind of, you know, buying and selling in, in the world of Alliance and, and kind of pod pricing, if you will. Um, I had an, I have an interesting story here, uh, but I don't know. Have you, have you all, I know Joe, you mentioned maybe only you've, you've kind of moved one deck in or out for Alliance um, or in, I guess, but um, is this something you folks have tons of experience with? I, I will say I've seen an uptick um, in offers for random decks and looked at it and say, oh, that must be an Alliance offer sort of a thing. Um, uh, but yeah, I see, I see you nodding, Joe. Is, is this something you've kind of seen a, a bit more of? Well, I definitely have seen an uptick in sales, um, which, you know, can coincide a little bit with, you know, just the whole Gal Ghost Galaxy announcement, Keyforge celebration, things like that. Um, you know, having a, a larger collection at, you know, even at 500 decks and plus access to, you know, talking with my team and things like that, that I was able to put together a very competitive deck for Alliance at KFC um, and, you know, building to something that um, fit my play style. You know, I had a good solid foundation of exactly what I wanted. So putting together an Alliance uh, deck wasn't super hard for me. Um, I spend a lot of time in my team chat talking about Alliance when it first came out and the ideas that would go into KFC. Um, I spend uh, a fair amount of time talking to Jason, who is probably the best Alliance mind out there, um, you know, about Alliance and Alliance pods, um, where I think Alliance gets really interesting. And what we're going to see is um, pips and pip placement. I think, um, I think that's the unbalancing point of Alliance more than anybody, everybody hated the one turn kill decks and stuff like that. You know, you're going to see, you know, getting, um, I'll take my, one of the woe decks I opened, um, at KFC, I opened a Halifax Brobnar deck that, um, all five band member or the, the four band members in Halifax all have enhancements on it. It's got eight total enhancements inside of Brobnar. That just creates a broken Brobnar pod. The rest of the deck's not great, but it creates a really, really broken pod. And I think, um, especially with Ghost Galaxy saying that uh, Master Vault will have pod uh, a pit placement, I think that's where you're going to really see uh, pod value go through the roof because you're going to be able to kind of, like I mentioned the Brobnar pod, None of the cards in Brobnar enhance any card, so I've got no downside to the enhance. Uh, you know, vanilla creatures doing the enhancements and getting all the upside, and I, I think that's where you're going to really see, um, you know, the the direction of Alliance, and and you're going to therefore see um, the cost of those special pods go up a lot more than what um, is kind of currently going on right now. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, uh, I, I definitely agree with you on that one. I, I'm curious too, uh, when you are putting together your Alliance deck for Keyforge Celebration, did you end up looking to buy any, anything for, for pods to fill out? Or did you feel like you had a deep enough pool to draw from between yourself and the team? So, um, I went with, I took my, uh, double generosity key abduction deck, which has got sure. the highest rated <laughs> Mars pod in existence. Right. So yeah. that was my foundation. Um, and then it was a matter, okay, what do Gen decks struggle with artifact control and, um, Amber generation. So first thing I wanted was the sting to get, to solve the Amber generation problem. Yep. Um, and luckily, uh, a good friend of mine had a, a sting deck up for sale. I said, Hey, what would you sell me this for? And he said, Oh, I'll just give it to you. And he sent it to me. So I kind of got lucky there with a really good sting pod because it wasn't a great deck. You know, it was something in the, uh, 60 high sixties, low seventies, but the shadows house was really good. So mm -hmm. I got that. And then, um, one of my teammates had a really good, um, logos pod that had the project ZYX suite neutron shark which was something that was 
the mandatory out of logos. I got that efficiency and uh, artifact control. And so I was able to uh, assemble that really without, without needing to spend a dollar. So I kind of, I, I did get a little lucky there. I did. Now I think about it. I misspoke. I did buy one other pod off a teammate. Um, it was a triple binate rupture quad helper bot with a, with a shark out of a 62 SAS um, uh, deck. Got it really cheap from a teammate. Um, and might have been my mistake not running that Logos pod because it, it leaned way more into what my deck was trying to do. Um, yeah. But anyways, that's a, that's a, that's a whole different story. But that, that's kind of w- what my thought process was and got assembled the deck pretty quickly once I had the game plan put together what I was looking for. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know, John, have you done any, any kind of uh, secondary market adventures in, uh, in Alliance land? No, I haven't done any secondary market um, <laughs> for Alliance pods. Um, I'm not a big Alliance person. So to this point, I've mostly just been using my own decks when I do try and put something together, see if I can get some use out of decks I wouldn't use otherwise. But I don't feel like I'm somebody who can be competitive in that Alliance space. Hmm. Uh, It's just not my style. Interesting. That's, that's interesting comment too. Uh, What what do you mean by in that, in that space is just not, not kind of looking to be deck crafting or. uh... I'm not looking to be acquiring the stuff that I would need in order to make it um, work. Uh, I know I don't have anything right now that would be able to compete with some of the decks that we saw at KFC. And I'm sure from now, from here, the decks are only going to get better. So Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in trying to, to fight that, you know, I'll have my Alliance deck. I have a pretty cool Alliance deck. I like to use that I put together um, that I'll play, you know, just on TCO every once in a while, but I don't feel like it's, it's in my, it's not the best use of my resources right now to go for Alliance. I'd rather stick with Archon. Totally mm-hmm. fair. I mean, uh, so just kind of recapping the responses we got when we kind of posed this one to the community, you know, we saw a lot of folks say, you know, zero to 50 bucks is kind of what they think's reasonable for uh, a top tier Alliance pod. I mean, I, I think maybe the ceiling on pricing for these sort of things would be around a third of what you'd see for a top end deck. Certainly, I feel like if you start seeing them go more than that, then maybe it's something exceptional. Um, but we always see some folks in the 50 to 100, 100 to 200, and then it dwindles off there. Uh, this was probably the single question that we got the fewest, uh, let's let's say, numeric answer <laughs> answers to. Uh, there were a number of answers that were, that were just more opinions about Alliance generally. Um, I, I struggle with pricing for alliance as well i've i will i'm gonna be careful how i phrase it i've bought one deck that i found while kind of theory crafting for alliance uh, i won't say that i bought it for alliance but i found it while theory crafting for alliance does that make sense um uh and and I, this is one this is one that i really struggle with as a competitive player or as a person who, who sees sees himself as a competitive player right like i was putting together kind of uh, some some concepts for an alliance deck so this was combo oriented you know it's got the helper bots nature's calls martian double martian generosity sorts of deals um and i was looking at my logo suite and the logo suite i was like oh this is this is great but it could be a little better you know it could be a little better you know i've got a couple stinkers in there um though most of it's most of it's pretty good so i did some searching around and i found the like I found this deck, it was for sale, and it upgraded, you know, a Hexbeon and a ZYX researcher to helper bot, or to, excuse me, to uh, to uh, time travel or help from future self. Like, this is clearly an upgrade. This is like much better, but like, there's a lot of baggage that I have to pay for to make that upgrade. And that's kind of what felt, felt bad for me in the moment. It was a deck with like a $350 price tag. And I was like, I don't know, felt, felt bad. So I was, I was really curious to see where folks weighed in on this one. I think uh, 
I don't know. It's it would be it's one thing if you're like putting together um, from a collection or from a team collection. I uh, I feel like I, I'm really curious to see where kind of secondary market sales settle for Alliance because the cost for incremental upgrades does feel a little steep. Uh, it feels a little steep, at least with where we are now. Maybe they'll, my mind will completely change when you know we've got. Uh, big, big alliance events running with with cash prizes and and folks won't mind a ton. Um, but it's an interesting question and uh, and brings kind of an interesting new wrinkle to how folks are going to approach approach buying and selling on the secondary market. I think there's another element that you have to think about there right. too, which is the fact that we still don't really know what the final restricted list is going to look like. I don't think they're done making changes to it. And so you don't want to end up buying a pod that suddenly you can't use because a restricted list makes it um, ineligible. Yeah. Yeah. A handful. Uh, I, One thing I, I was going to. Oh, sorry. Go for, it. Go for it. I was just going to say, I think you kind of hit on a point that I, I wanted to make and I, I maybe didn't get it all the way across is I think what we're going to see is those incremental upgrades that you're talking about is what's going to really drive alliance decks right and that's and i think it's going to get so finite not down to you know uh, a hex beyond a zyx research to a time traveler it's going to be hey how many draw pips can i get to go with my three chronoses mm -hmm. right and it's going to be those kind of level of upgrades that are going to be the and then when you get to people are going to be like well that 350 dollars deck has those extra four draw pips in it that's the one i'm going to buy um, that's what's really going to drive alliance prices through the roof. I, that's my opinion. That's what I think is going to happen. I mm -hmm. think it, we're, we're in such a early stage that we, we haven't even scratched the surface at seeing that kind of the, and, and frankly, I don't necessarily, I'm not super into alliance either. Right. And, and um, you know, I did kind of do a little bit of research on it, but I, I think it's going to get so finite that it's going to come down to, you know, one upgrade, you know, a, card to a card or a pip to a pip is going to make the difference in alliance a big difference in alliance decks that we don't see right now in archon and I, I, whether or not that ends up being good for the game or not i don't know but it doesn't sound like it's going to be super healthy for the game it will be interesting to see how it plays out um and i know ghost galaxy uh unfortunately i didn't i didn't make it to the celebration it's just kind of logistically wasn't possible when it was announced but um uh, you know, one of the things they said, I, I watched a recording that, that really caught my ear and resonated with me is, you know, they they really want to push Keyforge as this sort of lifestyle game. And I absolutely, you know, spend more time interacting with Keyforge outside the game than inside the game. You know, it's it's definitely a lifestyle game for me. You know, I'm, I'm scrolling through DOK. I'm like chatting with the team. Um, and, and you know, how, how you think about the game, how you interact with the game with your, when you're not playing it is very much impacted by, um, by, or is, you know, Alliance very much impacts that. Um, so, so interesting to see how it folds in. And yeah, uh, I think you're, you're right. We'll see how, <laughs> how it drives up with some of those pit placements and incremental upgrades. Um, it's interesting. I'm, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the incremental, incremental upgrades is an interesting question. And then the other interesting question for me is, you know, how many second best Logos pods do you need? <laughs> Probably none. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I, I'm not sure, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, very cool. Well, um, yeah, I have a few other, a few other kind of... Uh, topics that we we could we could shift gears to though i wanted to open up the floor a little bit i know we're coming up close to close to the 50 minute mark um uh i know john i know you had a few things that you had kind of uh kind of raised before in some of our brainstorming uh joe if you had anything you wanted to kind of chat through i'm gonna just open up the floor a little bit and if not then we can shift gears to play games but uh yeah i'm gonna give you give you all give you all kind of a chance to uh, get anything in that uh, we haven't touched on yet. Uh, why don't we go, John, first, just since we know you had the had a list of things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I am definitely a list maker. <laughs> so one of the things I wanted to touch on is I thought that there were two very interesting case studies in the secondary market recently. Okay. Um, and I got in contact with both of those people and got some interesting responses. So um, one person that I talked to was Jupiter. And the other one was Mr. K-Pop from the NKFL. Um, and both of them lost faith at some point during the hiatus and decided that they were going to sell off um, either most of their collections or at least some of their best decks. And so I asked them kind of, what did you do in terms of rebuilding your collection when Ghost Galaxy took over and you realized that you wanted to come back to Keyforge? And so um, Jupiter had an interesting response in that he said that the first thing that he did was to buy a bunch of boxes. I think he said four boxes of each set in order to kind of serve as a base for him so that he had a collection again. Um, and then from there, he started to use the secondary market to fill in his holes. Um, but he said that he never wanted to go above $300 um, in buying a secondary market deck, which I think you can find some pretty competitive stuff um, for 300 or less. So I think that's a pretty... Um, mm -hmm valid strategy and of course jupiter beforehand was one of the biggest sellers on the secondary market so i suspect that if anybody knew how it worked and knew how to use it he would probably be a great example of that sure uh, mm -hmm. mr k-pop um told me that he sold off a couple of his favorite decks um, when he decided that um you know keyforge was probably finished and then when he came back um he couldn't get those specific decks back but he found he had some other decks he liked and he said you know he was able to kind of scrape together a um, collection from other decks that he liked and from um, purchases and things but he also told me that he had he found certain decks on dok that he was trying to buy but that people weren't interested in selling them now that brings me into another interesting <laughs> point here and i know that we've discussed um this um because different people have different views on this one it seems um, and it's a really interesting question about how much it's okay to message somebody if they have a deck that you want and, you know, you want to try and buy it from them. And so, like, for me, some of my decks, I just, for a while, I was getting messages every day. Will you sell this deck? Will you sell this deck? Will you sell this deck? <laughs> and it's like, sorry, like, if I was going to sell it, I would have put it um, up for sale. I thought at one point about putting it up for sale for like some ridiculous number, like $10,000 or something just to stop getting um, <laughs> offers on it. <laughs> um, but that made have might've made it even worse. So uh, I have the solution yeah, to your I, problem, John, you can sell it to me and you'll get no more. Uh, you'll get no more offers. <laughs> you seem so generous today, Justin. <laughs> we haven't talked pricing yet. Then the generosity stops. <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be Martian generosity yeah, here, exactly. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it's an interesting question as to how much of that is okay. I've had, I've also had the situation where I've had one deck where I've been repeatedly contacted by the same person um, mm -hmm. over it. And that's a whole different situation, right? Because in that situation, you know, once somebody says no first, I think you should probably respect that. And they'll let you know if they decide to change their mind on it. I don't know that there's any way to like block somebody on DOK or something like that. So I don't think there's anything you can do on that um, about it, except just, you know, I guess maybe delete the emails or something after a while. <laughs> but anyway, I'm curious to know, what are your guys' thoughts on that um, issue? The issue of what should you do um, if somebody doesn't have a deck for sale, but you um, are interested in acquiring it? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let Joey in here first. I have some thoughts too. <laughs> yeah, so, so I reach out to a lot of people that don't have decks for, uh, for sale. Um, you know, I've gotten, I did get my very best uh, Dark Tidings deck that way. Um, and it was an interesting story. I reached out to somebody. They said, no, I'm interested. I said, okay, no problem. Um like two months later, they messaged me back, said, hey, are you still interested in this deck? I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, you offered me this. I said, well, yeah, I'm not that interested anymore. <laughs> and then they're like, all right, well, what can we come with? And then I got it even at a little bit of a better price. And, you know, 
really good. I also picked up, uh, um, uh, I uh, just randomly was looking for uh, a Martian Generosity Battlefleet deck. And someone had just opened one, registered it. Um, I messaged them like the same day they had opened it because it just was, I was just kind of searching for it that day. It wasn't up for sale. I was able to get a, get a, a, a probably paid a, a little high for it, but it was something that was a super collector thing for me. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I've had some success reaching out on, on cold, kind of cold calls. Um, but I, I, if, if somebody says no to me, I'm respectful of that. And then I'm, you know, just move on, you know, always put out there. Okay. If you ever change your mind, let me know. And then, and then kind of go, kind of go from there. So, um, you know, I think if you're not, you know, hammering somebody nonstop, I think I don't have an issue with it. I do it myself. Um, but definitely, uh, be respectful of, Hey, um, uh, you know, if, if they're not interested, leave them alone. I will say this. I was talking to a friend of mine. I'm not going to say names, but he's very active in the purchasing community. He was searching for a user on DOK that wasn't responding, found them on Twitter, messaged <laughs> them on Twitter and actually ended up get, getting them to respond and then ended up working out a deal. So <laughs> there are some people that are real relentless out there in, in uh, trying to acquire decks, but I think that's probably a little bit too over the top. Very cool. Yeah. I've, um, I have definitely, definitely in the past reached out to folks, uh, who, about decks that were not listed for sale. Um, actually, interestingly enough, this, this was more for, uh, casual purchases, I would say than competitive ones. So I also collect namesake decks. Uh, I'm going to pull up my old collection of decks with Russell in the name. So there's Russell, the perfect Russell, the magician, the naturalist, Russell, the invisible. Yeah. I've got a few, um, a bunch of these. I mean, a lot of folks, either they just don't list this, their bulk or they have some decks listed for sale, but not others. Or, or, you know, actually Russell, the perfect is an interesting one. Uh, I randomly ran into this person, uh, on a discord through some, some game, but it was not a Keyforge game. And, uh, I was like, Hey, you're the user or the, you're the owner of Russell, the perfect on DOK. And, and we kind of ma- managed to work out a deal. So really, really funny and serendipitous. But I mean, I, I think my my kind of just general advice and guiding guiding principle for this is, you know, treat people like humans, be respectful. Like, yeah, ask once. And if you get a no, like, okay, move on. Let me know if you change your mind. And, and you know, try not to be like leaning in real heavy. Uh, I, I try really hard to like, well, let's see. Uh, some folks just don't, just don't check DOK. You know, some folks just don't get DOK messages. DOK does have a way to send a user a message about a deck to their email as opposed to like a DOK message. And I, I generally, I think, lean on that instead of, um, instead of using the DOK messaging feature. But um, it's usually one, it's usually like, hey, you know, nope, no worries either way. Let me know, I'd love to work something out. I'll usually list an list I'll usually have an offer kind of in the initial contact because um, uh, it's not like it's not like oh they, they responded and now now we're gonna like uh, try and try and play the like well what are you what are you thinking what am I thinking um, uh, type of game so that can be fun too <laughs> yeah I'll tell you that whole serendipity thing can be really important sometimes mm-hmm. um, when I was originally looking at acquiring Mira, uh, which is probably my most well-known deck, I'd say, mm-hmm. I was testing it out on DOK, not sorry, on TCO, and I ended up playing against um, the guy who owned the deck and who had it for sale. <laughs> and he was like, hey, that's my deck. And I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about buying it. He's like, well, you know, if you want to buy it, um, I'd be happy to sell it to you. Uh, and so we ended up basically working out a deal there for me to um, purchase the deck. Wow. And uh, was it listed for sale at, at that at that point? Or it what? was listed for sale. Wow. Interesting. Um, and I knew X-Ray was in on it too. Okay. So I also knew that I had to move relatively quickly because, you know, <laughs> X-Ray has a bit of a reputation in that area. Um, so uh, I was 
I don't know if I would have been able to get the deck if I hadn't been lucky enough to run into um, the guy just randomly on TCO. Very cool. Very cool. Um, you know, there's one other kind of interesting note on this, uh, and it's it's kind of related to your last point there. I, I don't know if I believe that you're going to put together, you know, an absolute, you're going to really snag the absolute top top shelf decks just waiting for things to to hit DOK. I mean, it'll happen, sure. But I think most folks are holding those decks, not listing them, and and kind of listing the decks that aren't making the cut for their lineups in one way or another. This wasn't as true during, you know, the, the tale of the hiatus, right? I de definitely picked up some, some good decks at that point. But, I mean, you know, now as things are ramping back up, I think you're seeing folks listing the things that don't make their hexad or don't make their triad. And it's almost like, you know, you're... You're in the business world with M&As. It's like the real big transactions happen when there's like the, the like, hey, you know, lean over. You know, what do you think about we make some we make something happen with the uh, the real the real spicy stuff, you know? Um, so I don't know. Interesting. Uh, there definitely are some ones listed, but um, I almost expect I don't know. I, when I see them listed on DOK, it's either uh, it either feels like a a flex listing like i'm not really planning to sell it just want you all to see the like the high price tag and and that i've got it <laughs> or um or or maybe so folks quit quit bugging them <laughs> it could be that too <laughs> yeah hmm. you know i think there's a, a little bit to that you know that i would wanted to it was actually a point i wanted to make here is you know some people will sell their top decks to help fund other things mm-hmm so, um, you know, it's not, um, it's not just, oh, well, it doesn't quite make, you know, it's not my best. I out of, you know, I've probably opened a thousand plus decks out of all those decks I've opened. I've sold every one of my highest SAS decks because they didn't fit what I was looking for. And I use those to buy the things that I did want. And so... Um, it's not always a trap listing, um, uh, but I think it's really to, important that when you are trying to, to buy a um, expensive, uh, you know, competitive deck, that you understand its holes, right? And, and you understand that it fits something that's going to make you happy, right? Um, and I think that's really what it deck to me comes down to because you know uh, some of the decks that you guys have mentioned you know i'll be like yeah that's a pretty cool deck but it wouldn't be something i would go spend a bunch of money on and some of my martian generosity nonsense you guys might not want to spend a bunch of money on um and so it really uh, you know the most important thing is hey if i buy if i make this investment right is, is it gonna am i gonna be happy with the end result and it's not about winning because my, my favorite deck isn't even one of my Martian Generosity decks. Uh, you know, my all-time favorite deck is a Worlds Collide deck with a Legacy, Legacy Brig in it. Yeah. That is just to me. It, it's going to see Brig and a Lateral Shift in it. It's just fun to play. It is my favorite deck to play. <laughs> um, and it's not my expensive, crazy decks. Um, and so just finding that those decks that you resonate with, I think it's the most important part when you're shopping on the on the um, secondary market that you can um, have some fun with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the points that you brought up there that's a really important point, and I think probably the single most important point about buying decks on the secondary market is take them for a spin on TCO and try them out. <laughs> Make sure that they're fun for you. Make sure that they're doing what you expect them to do. Uh, if you're looking for a competitive deck, make sure it's winning. <laughs> well, so, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. So you really want to, you really have to do that testing process, and you got to put that work in if you want to get a deck you're going to be happy with in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And I would go a step farther. I'd say, you know, get some folks who you you trust and uh, you know feel like will give you a good shakedown. Uh, on on some games and have them have them pilot known known strong decks uh you know i i i, I don't know i think tco comp is great as a like oh let me get let, let me get a sense for what this deck does hopefully it's hopefully it's winning but you'll also get 
you know, some, some random stuff in there. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just good to kind of run it through a gauntlet as well. If, you know, if you got the time, if you're able to do it, if you don't, then you don't. But, uh, I think this is a kind of a thing that gets overlooked. People will, people will, you know, play 10 games in TCO competitive, maybe win them all. And then you go to the ABR Archon week and you're like, wow, I got smoked. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I'd also say to that is don't don't hesitate to have that testing partner play the deck so mm -hmm. you can watch it be played. I think something you can learn a lot about a deck from having it played against you. Um, how to find a hole, how find its weaknesses, because um, you you're not you don't have those same blinders on when you're when you're playing it. So I think that's a, a an important part when you're. Uh, testing out a deck to see if you want to buy it. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, some of the best notes I've gotten on I've gotten on decks has been watching other folks play them. Like, not to be overlooked. Absolutely, good point. Um, cool. Well, we're uh, we're running along here. I feel like we could probably have. Uh, a couple episodes kind of digging through some of this stuff um but i i want to uh, uh put a bow on it while while we're still kind of going strong so i'm gonna say big thank you to our experts uh uh joe and john i well, we have kind of the um we have kind of the start of the well i don't know the the, the uh, cartel of jays in the secondary market i don't know <laughs> joe john and jt <laughs> don't tell anybody yeah <laughs> yeah uh so yeah Big thanks to you both. Uh, you know, it's uh, really appreciate the time, and and yeah, your thoughts on this. Um, yeah, get a shout out again to the ABR ABR League and Discord server. We'll put a, um, uh, a link to that in the show notes, and uh, to the Time Shapers as well. Uh, I guess we'll go any any send offs that you'll want to give or shameless plugs. I guess uh, Joe first. Anything from your end. Just uh, appreciate, you know, everybody who contributes to the Keyforge community. It's why I love the game, you know, uh, so appreciate the podcast. Uh, John, your articles are always super, super insightful, and, and your brand of your, um, not only the AV, but you know, your experience, of, uh, you know, always appreciated. So, uh, and, you know, it's the community that keeps this game going. So, appreciate you guys and appreciate having me on. Right on. Thank you much, Lee. John. Yeah, um, I'm honored to be on with such illustrious people as Joe and <laughs> oh yeah, you too, Justin. Oh, quickly, um, not here. You gotta <laughs> save that <with> illustrious, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me on. I always appreciate coming, getting to come on here and act like I'm an expert on something. <laughs> and yeah, much like Joe, you know, I'm appreciative to the entire community and. You know, it's amazing to me that we managed to survive several years of hiatus. I don't know of many other gaming communities that could have done that. Yeah, due in no small part to the folks, uh, well, Aurora's not here, but deserves a shout out for some of the work that she's done writing on the secondary market and also in running events and and, and driving interest during during that time. And certainly ABR fits that, um, fits that bill for me as well. Um, so... Major props, many thanks, much love. Um, and to the folks out there, we'll say uh, stay sloppy. <laughs> <laughs>